This is Loudspeaker. Welcome to Connecting a Better World, where we spend time meeting some of the most incredible human beings who make this world a better place. We will learn how each individual took their ideas, mission, and purpose to create and serve others in business and organizations that surround social good, social entrepreneurship, and social impact, and find out how we, together, can further connect others to help. I am your host, Dr. Natalie Phillips. Today, I spend time with Carrie Davidson, founder, author, and human capital expert who believes in maximizing every interaction to make life and work feel more like adventure and play. As author of The Five Archetypes, discover your true nature and transform your life and relationships, Carrie shares her wisdom surrounding a new system for building self-awareness, self-regulation, and empathy, and a new, deeper understanding of wellness becoming a choice and a lifestyle. Through her nonprofit work, she teaches this method to kids around the world for free to help create empathetic environments, as well as to companies to improve productivity and reduce interpersonal conflict. All right, so I am super excited to introduce Carrie Davidson, and she and I met uh, through Clubhouse again, yet I, it seems to be all of my podcasts are coming from Clubhouse, which is an audio-only app, but there's just some sort of connection that people make by connecting on Clubhouse, which also actually goes into Instagram. And I think that's how Carrie reached out to me as well as just kind of taking that extra step to make that connection. So I'm really excited to introduce Carrie Davidson to my audience. Welcome, Carrie. Hi, Dr. Natalie. So happy to be here with you. So I want you to start off a little bit more telling me about who you are and a little bit of background of the story of who you are. Who is Carrie Davidson? <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> so, right. Wow. Well, I would say today I'm a person who really thrives on making work and home life optimal for people, um, removing suffering. If you look at it from a really large scale, it's really about removing suffering. And when I did, when I talk about suffering, the way I define it is kind of the stuff we do to ourselves. <laughs> it's that internal chatter, the self-criticism, uh, the, the self-judgment, the thoughts about what we can't achieve, you know, living in lack thinking and fear thinking and fixed mindset that you know, over time has come, has become habit, right? Because we're not really taught a language of how to toot our own horns. You know, many of us think it's, it's not nice, or it's not cool, or how to ask for our needs to be met, or even to believe that we deserve to have our needs met. And so there's a process that goes on inside where we kind of self-sabotage. And that's where my bread and butter really is, is helping people identify that, understand where it's coming from, what the motivation is, leveraging this knowledge to live optimally, to kind of be able to become friends with that voice and then overcome it. I, 
I started to kind of land in this space from originally I was the head of HR at Columbia up at the university. And I was frustrated and saddened by seeing disengagement at work and people feeling like they couldn't express themselves and didn't have opportunities to communicate clearly what they needed. And that started my process of diving into human engagement and human development. And today I use a holistic system of helping people deeply understand who they are, what they need, and how to achieve success. I additionally am a mom of three rock star amazing children who are all finally out of the house, (laughs) which is really exciting for me. So I have a little bit more freedom myself these days. And I spend most of my time in New York City and Cape Cod. And I'm really happy to be here with you. Oh, well, and it's such a change. So you were in human resources at Columbia. And I mean, I see the relation in really looking at, you know, taking what you said, the disengagement that you were noticing and really studying the human behavior and and the thought process, I guess, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But okay, but then I also heard three kids. (laughs) So when did you, when were you able to dive into all this research that sparked this curiosity to to develop this new system, I should say. Well, I'm just like looking at you going, three yeah. kids? Okay. And they're out of college now or out of the house yeah. now, but still, you know, for you to be able to build this new system and really do the research and delve into it, right? Yeah. Um, coming from um, a different type of uh, job, um, where did you find the time? And um, can you can you say that it really sparked from curiosity that drove you or was there something else? Well, I would say it started around when I got divorced about 11 years ago. So it was sparked out of necessity. I really didn't have a choice. I had to go back to work. I had to dive into figuring out how to make ends meet on my own again. And so I started working at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital, and I was running a nonprofit for at-risk youth there. And you're right. You know, like, yes, human resources kind of started the interest and, and gave me, uh, gave me a view into lots of different people's ways of engaging and disengaging. Um, But once I was up at the hospital, I started to see even more clearly how the business of helping people heal looked at its core in the United States from a hospital setting. It's, pretty commoditized and having zero experience in understanding healthcare, the business behind healthcare, nor any experience in holistic health. I just sat in my chair there, in my desk there, and started to feel like something was missing. That there had to be something more than an hour a week with underserved kids teaching them great tactics and great eye-opening ideas to consider, and then sending them back into the environments that reinforced why they were with us in the first place. I, I just, like, mm. that doesn't sound good to me. It doesn't sound super effective. I figured there just needed to be more. And so that sparked my interest in starting to research other methods of healing, the Eastern practices, 
uh, other cultures, our own history. Like how did our medical model get to where we are now and why do we believe this is gold standard? When if you look at the data, in, we are right around 50th in mortality around the world, the United States, and we spend the most of any country on our healthcare, more than double the country just below us. And I don't know about wow. other people, but to me, that just doesn't sound like gold standard. <laughs> so, so I happen to be the type of person who I can get bored easily just focusing on one thing. So you ask, like, how do I, how do I find time if I'm, dealing, you know, raising three kids too? <laughs> so there's the hours between midnight and 4 a.m. <laughs> so there's that. No, that's not the no, answer. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I just, when I get really interested in something, it's what I dive into. So my quote unquote free time, I would read about this. I would research about other countries and other cultures and other methods what does healing look like to me emotional and relationship and social well-being could not be separated from the rest of my life you could not you know separate my stomach ache from my worry about my presentation you couldn't separate my migraine from how well my sleep was you know, you couldn't separate out my challenges with my children in the morning to, you know, how well I could present at an upcoming meeting that day. But for some reason, our medical model silos all of these things. They are disconnected. And so not just the medical model, like that's kind of where this whole thing started for me. But, you know, our, our systems that deal with personality or emotions are like separated out from the physical and the, you know, the relational and from the spiritual even. So I got super, super turned on to these Eastern practices that were all about our connections, our interconnections within ourselves, all of our own interconnected systems, but also helping us learn through the connections we have with our external environment with the other people like I only learn in relationship to you and to other you right to my kids and to people around me they reflect back my behavior and I'm like oh I didn't know I sounded like that when I saw someone's reaction right so so we learn in relationships and so I just got super drawn into this because it's ever unfolding it's organic it's growing it doesn't end I'm always able to learn something. And and I just kind of found the time and created the time. And certainly things fell by the wayside. I think that my being divorced actually kind of supported um, my ability to do a little bit more in a weird way because my ex and I worked so well together at supporting our children that he took on some, you know, some things that I could take a back seat on and, and spend more time at work and, and same, you know, the other way around. And then there were also days where my kids would go to him, right, for a handful of days and me for a handful of days. So I had, all of a sudden I had days off. <laughs> and so, so I could focus, right? I could actually <laughs> focus on some of the stuff. So 
you know, and I believe that when you're really passionate about something, you figure it out. So, yeah. And I'm thinking like you come from such a heart of service and looking at things in such a different way, right? Um, Did you have a role model that growing up that you looked up to that, and I like to get to the heart of this too, because it shows people to stop and pause and look around and be thankful for the people around you, you know, wherever you are in your journey of life, because it could be a role model, not even growing up. It could be a role model um, that you had as an adult as well, but might, you might have tried to, um, I guess not really emulate because you're your own person, but really what inspired you to uh, kind of carve a different path for yourself, right? And really lean into some of these passions that you're starting to see Mm -hmm. in your journey. I would say for most of my life, right? Childhood up to um, seven or eight years ago, I had several different role models in that I would take bits and pieces of different people that I saw or I interacted with and thought like, oh, I want to do that like that person. And then I would also see the the the, the opposite of a role model. What do you call that? Someone who, who exhibits behavior you don't want to do? <laughs> well, you're just like, yes. Like, oh, that's an <laughs> yes. example of something I don't, I don't know what do. you call those people. <laughs> and an anti-mod? I don't know. We'll come up with it. I'll get back to you on a name for that. But I... I happen to be super sensitive and observant of my environment and my surroundings and myself in in a moment. And so I would love to like pick and choose different things I notice about people that I felt were really high vibe and that I needed to learn how to do better. And so I would ask questions or I would engage in that way for those reasons. And I I would learn from observing the lower lying vibration <laughs> behavior by being like, ooh, that's something I see myself doing sometimes. And now, like taking a step back and observing it in someone else, I got to make sure I don't do that anymore. But I would say the role model, the role model I've had recently that really shifted the trajectory of my life has been Dr. Stephen Cowan. And Stephen is the co-founder with me of my nonprofit, and he taught me about the five archetypes. And Dr. Cowan, he, I'm sure, I mean, he is human, so he probably does react and stress sometimes. (laughs) But I will say that what he taught me is the gift and the skill of pausing and being really self-reflective and becoming, um, building self-mastery, that there's this process of, you know, we talk a lot about self-awareness, right? That self-awareness is a good thing to have and that it it's a, a real deep component of someone who is emotionally healthy and that can contribute to an employee who's really productive and all but self-awareness is just the beginning and that's kind of what he taught me that it starts with self-awareness yeah I, I know some things about myself great then what then you go into the second step with which is self-consciousness which is being not just knowing stuff about yourself but being conscious of it happening in the moment like being conscious of how my 
overactive behavior or my stress is impacting your life and your ability to feel safe with me and learn from me and engage with me and be open. So that's self-conscious, but it doesn't even stop there. Then he's taught me this, like, yes, the the highest level really is self-mastery. And self-mastery is even above being conscious in the moment. It is knowing and being able to predict who I am and how I interact in certain situations and building resilience before you ever get there. So, like, I know on Thanksgiving, you know, Aunt Jane and Uncle Bob push my buttons because they always ask me about, I don't know, something private (laughs) I want to talk about. And so how do I, how do I build resilience to that way ahead of time? Like I build my tolerance to that kind of over asking behavior, first of all, because that's me, that's on me, you know, to really set the boundaries and set the stage for how I want to feel in a place and how can I build a skill to be really super kind and um, and compassionate to others while still setting my boundaries? How can I kind of Tai Chi the situation? I don't know if you're familiar with how like there's this flow in Tai Chi where you take energy that may be pushy and you can shift it into a beautiful dance. So if my aunt and uncle come to me and they're like, so tell me about the new guy you're dating. And I will laugh and I'll say, you guys are so cute. Let's talk about the recipes instead. Right? Right? So like you can (laughs) shift things. So he has taught me by example, you know, by watching him, by, you know, being my own teacher, me going and asking him, and by building things together, by having, you know, nonprofit company meetings with potential clients or collaborators, watching him engage with families. He has been a role model for for me in my most recent history that has completely given me a sense of empowerment and helped me reduce that lower lying fear and lack thinking and all the garbage that gets us hung up in places that don't get us anywhere. I love how you explain that, and thank thank you to your to your role model and mentor, um, because I do love how you explained it. I think a lot of people sit in well. There's power in the pause, yes, absolutely. But you basically said, you know, from self awareness to self conscious, right? Um, really understanding what your reaction is going to be in the moment. That's huge because you can think about what's going to happen at that Thanksgiving dinner, right? And be like, ugh, okay, I'm just going to have to put up with it. But to take it to self-mastery and to be able to know, okay, I'm going to plan out things that I can use to shift the conversation should it go down that way. You know, and I love how you brought in the Tai Chi and how um, you uh, can shift the conversation in that moment, right? And that's the whole self-mastery part. But I really love the way that you explained it because it makes a lot of sense. And a lot of people talk about being present, right? Being being in the present, um, don't worry about the future. Um, and you've got to just kind of enjoy where you are. Well, that's true. But what you just said is if you are able to predict um, I don't want to say predict the future, but look into what possibly could happen. You are already well equipped and you're really developing these skills 
to um, create a better life. Because if you just if you just say, oh, okay, great, they're coming over, I can't stand them, but great, it'll only be like mm, two hours and then they'll be gone. The whole time you're in that situation, you're still going to be feeling that way, right? Um, that you're caught up in, you know, you were already self-aware that I'm already going to be in a pissy mood, you know, the whole time until they leave, right? And and then in that moment, you're kind of avoiding them possibly, right? Because you just don't want to be in that mood. You would rather just enjoy the rest of your guests. But the mastery part really comes in saying, look, I'm going to make the situation the best possible by just having things right. It's not really predicting the future, but just having things right. Should something trigger me, that I don't have to exit or I don't have to look for an exit out of this or deflect or whatever it is, but mold, right, the conversation that I can still stay present in the conversation because they came here to my house to enjoy my company. And so you're still allowing um, the situation to happen, but you're really making it work for you a little bit better. So then when they leave, you're like, oh, that really wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Why did I get myself so worked up, you know, and, and everything like that. So I absolutely love how you explained it because it made a lot of sense to me. So oh. That's why you're a master. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally get yeah, this. You know? And I, I love what you're saying about, you know, not living in fear of the future. And there is totally, a ta- I work with people a lot on that. Um, but there's, you know, there's also a difference between being prepared and proactive, um, mm-hmm. you know, rather than fearing the future. So if we understand our tendencies, mm-hmm. it's almost mm-hmm. like if you were going to run the marathon, you know, you could live in fear of, oh, I'm not going to be able to do it. I Every morning you wake up and you'd be like, oh, I'm not strong enough. Mm-hmm. And so you're fearing your failure there. Or you could be proactive and planning and be like, all right, I have to be, I have to build up my stamina. I have to build my, my leg muscles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to build my lung capacity. And so you start to create <laughs> that foundation mm-hmm. of resilience to the pain you're about to put yourself mm-hmm. in running several, several miles. <laughs> so it's no different you know, in preparing um, and being proactive and building the the neuroplasticity Mm -hmm. muscles and the social emotional relationship muscles as well. And no one teaches us how to do this. It's absurd. We just like fling ourselves into relationships as parents, as lovers, as, you know, workers, Mm -hmm. colleagues, friends, and we just kind of hope for the best and do our thing. And you know, what do we have available to us? Well, we've got drinking, Xanax, smoking pot, I guess, having affairs, <laughs> quitting our jobs, holding, like you said, like holding stuff inside, mm-hmm. you know, avoid avoidance. Mm-hmm. None of this helps us. And so, yeah, I mean, it just needs to be taught as we need to learn this as kids, which is, you know, what I, one of the things I'm doing. But um, but yeah, we just don't have, we don't naturally have these skill sets. We've got to learn them. Yeah, yeah. So let's dive into the five archetypes because this is what your new book is all about and uh, what you're teaching uh, in your nonprofit, right, to kids. So let's talk about what are the five archetypes and um I guess, you know, what inspired you to to really dive deep into this and write? So the five archetypes are 
five forces for growth. It's all the components that are available to us in our own nature and in nature um, that that are required for us to be successful in anything. Specifically, it it provides um, a framework for understanding how we react in the face of adversity and then how to grow through it. And so the five are fire, earth, metal, water, and wood. And because they're based in the Chinese medicine model, there are hundreds of correlations that deal with like anything from emotions to organ systems, to values, to your higher level purpose, to your coping mechanisms, to people and things that you that rub you the wrong way, to um, behaviors that you'll chronically avoid, to behaviors that you are chronically good at and no one ever had to teach you how to do. But it's the assessment, the this um you know, five archetypes assessment to determine what percentage of each of the five are within your nature is essentially a Chinese medicine acupuncture intake. It's it's not terribly dissimilar to what you'll take in an acupuncture's office, but um, it doesn't have all of the physical, like we're not going to ask about your physical health, um, but it does reflect, I can tell by someone's scores, um, how to support them in their physical well-being too. So it is, um, we are holographic beings, right? We have the physical, the cognitive, the emotional relationship and spiritual well-being. So when I see someone's scores, I get the whole picture. And having this information helps people understand themselves, that what motivates them and how to map out any relationship for growth. So your relationship with your food and your exercise, for example, uh, and your relationship with your spouse and your children and your relationship to learning new material, uh, your relationship to an entire team, to a new client, to uh, a new program you're building. It is a relational model. Like we don't grow in a vacuum. We don't grow alone. We only grow in relationship to context. So what I love about it is that it is the only model I've ever seen that takes into account the whole being. Um, the Western model for like mm. for medicine, for education, it silos out. It takes everything apart. It's all focused on like very finitely um, um, diagnosing a problem like oh labels you're you've got ADHD all of a sudden I have ADHD and I'm stuck like I am now very um, rigidly defined as having this problem whereas really if you take a huge step back um, sometimes when I don't get enough sleep I don't I need more stimulation to focus on repetitive activities and when I don't get enough sleep and I can't focus, mm. I tend to get anxious more quickly. But there's a fix for that. That is all very holistic and I can do it myself, <laughs> right? So, but we don't, mm. we have people, humans have, um, we crave labels. Like we love to know like, oh, what sign are you? And what, <laughs> what number are you? And what, you know, Myers-Briggs are you? Um, but it's, it leaves us with um, almost 
takes away our humanity, our organic ability to grow and change. Um, like a lot of my clients, uh, my corporate clients, um, they don't love things like the Myers-Briggs and the other, you know, um, typing programs because, well, you know, they may, they may have reactions of a certain type if they're feeling totally okay, but when they have a really cruddy morning and they get to work, they don't act like that. They act like a totally other, right, other type. And your entire team thinks right, you're this type, right, right. but you forgot breakfast, your kids couldn't find yes, their shoes, yes. everyone was late to school, and all of a sudden you're no longer an EJR7. <laughs> you are something completely different, but, right? So what I love about the archetypes is that it is an organic model that is a snapshot of your perception of yourself in a moment that gives you, um, empowers you with growth techniques. And so it's how do I adapt to any situation based on any time and how I'm feeling and how I'm engaging right now. And yeah. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is, because you brought up a lot of these different um, typing types of tools, I should say, and it made me think, do you think it's the actual tool itself that makes it so that people are felt like they're diagnosed or spoken over, or do you think it's the person having that open mind, right, to receive and and walk into that self-awareness and to learn how to reach the self-consciousness, self-mastery? Do you think it's a tool or do you think it's the person? Well, I think that, gosh, it depends. I think sometimes it's it can be both. Sometimes it's one or the other. I think my challenge with... Um, with the some of these other tools is that the the way to ask questions is a forced choice answer so you have you have to choose mm, am i this like or that a closed set versus an open yeah set. like yes, on a scale yes, yes. um because then what happens is like when you have when you're forced to pick one or the one or the other you could be agonizing over the answer because you're really kind of in the middle mm. and you have to pick one to get your your scores and then like I could be, let's say, you know, it's a color coded program. I could be 53% blue and you could be 93% blue, but we're both blue. And then all of a sudden we're not really all that much similar, but we're created and we're treated as if we are both solidly blue. Right. So, um, so yeah. it's very, it's very limiting and it, it creates a, kind of a false sense of someone's um, pegged reality. Um, I think mm -hmm. that people are also there. We love to know more about ourselves and we kind of, for some reason, don't believe we know about ourselves. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Studies show that we, uh, we and our friends, we actually know a whole ton about ourselves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Um, and I think that we like to fit in somewhere. You know, I think that feels good knowing like, you know, we have an affinity with a certain group of people and all of a sudden, oh my God, all these people understand me, you know, so that feels yes. really psychologically good. Comfortable. Yeah. Um, you know, and also we, we crave a diagnosis. We crave knowing like I'm this one thing. It's easier. It, it, you can relieve, con you, you can give control over to that diagnosis. All of a sudden, I don't have to do as much work. It's so easy. Like, it's chaos if I don't know what I am. 
it's chaos if I if I can't define my problem or my thing or my type. If I don't fit in, if I am, you know, a citizen of the world, well, crud, what does that mean? That that makes, like, some people can't handle that. They need to know what they are. Um, so I think that, that there's a draw into, I think that's why a lot of, you know, um, systems like, um, uh, like astrology and certain things are, are very sticky because, you know, certainly there's some truth to it for sure. I mean, I'm a, I love astrology. Um, but as far as, you know, having the draw, like using it to make serious decisions in the workplace and understand and like being, um, really pinned down to one type, we never are. That means that if that was the case, then I would tell you, well, like every mistake you make and everything you are will never, you can't grow. Like you're not going to be different today than you are, you know, when you're 60. Mm-hmm. You're just not, you can't grow. Interesting. And yeah. then everyone's like, well, wait a minute. And then it's also like, I don't know, Myers-Briggs, I think they don't have any negative traits listed, which is like not mm-hmm. true. <laughs> we all kind of stink sometimes. <laughs> You know, so there's, I don't know, there's a lot of, um, you know, I think it's a combination of the measurement tools um, and it's a combination of people's desire to belong, to, to, to label something because it's just easier. It relieves the pressure of having to figure things out. Um, and this, this belief that we don't know, like this desire to know more about ourselves, like some people are very attracted to psychics. You know, they get addicted to psychics yeah. because there's like, oh, you know, and I don't know. And then you give over your power. Right, right. We even do that in the medical system. Right. Like we give over our power to the dude in the white coat. Um, and we think right. they know better, even though sometimes there's a little burning, you know, feeling inside. It's like, I don't think I should keep eating broccoli. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because being in that field, right? Um, it is. I do see that, right? Yeah. Um, so... So let's give everybody an example. And I know that you and I have talked and you had me do an assessment as well, just to kind of give people an example, I guess, of, you know, uh, how the five archetypes work and how, you know, you said it's not just necessarily one thing, right, but a multitude of the five archetypes. So um, did you want to kind of start going through that just because I know that you had talked about maybe trying to tell me a little bit more about the assessment that I took for you? Yes. So, so you took our assessment. Uh, and I have your scores in, in front of me. And so we all have all five within us. And the um, each of the potential, each of the five, uh, we get a score anywhere out of like 100%, right? We can have up to 100 of each. And your spread of scores, the relationship among the five tells me a lot about how um, how you engage with your environment, how you like to grow how you cope in the face of stress and different places where you might feel like you can't tolerate certain behaviors and things that you find that you um, mechanism, coping mechanisms or growth mechanisms that you don't naturally reach for that don't feel like they're as valuable to you. So, so of the five, your primary is earth and earth people. So, so another thing is that, we, it is, according to Chinese medicine, our primary type isn't known to change throughout our lifetime. 
the primary type is the, the one you score highest in. So, so your primary is earth. You, um, earth people, uh, their biggest gift to the world is empathy and compassion. They can't tolerate disunity easily. So they, they are the glue that holds things and people together. They learn by, by telling and listening to stories and context. They need to understand who's involved, what's involved, what does a project need, who can we trust, how can we harmonize and collaborate to make something um, that you know, the team can benefit from. Um, your um, Earth's biggest fears and motivators revolve around uh, a fear of abandonment, right? So they, they want everyone to stick together. It's really important. Um, when a relationship falls apart, Earth can overblame themselves because they are the masters at relationships of all five. It's, it's like your gift to the world, this empathetic nurturer. Um, and so when a relationship fails, you'll, you'll wonder, what did I do wrong to, that that relationship failed? Earth people need to be needed. It's very important to them to know that other people want what they're putting out there and that they want other people want um, and appreciate what they contribute to a project or a team or a relationship. Um, the other thing I notice in your scores is that your two, the two natures that, that exist next to Earth, so these exist in a cycle, like that goes uh, like it goes uh, within the same cycle as the um, as the seasons, right? So they're con they're always the same. So um, your earth and your metal are also very high, and earth and metal, I'm sorry, fire and metal, are very high, and those are your nurturing natures. They represent how you engage with other people, how you engage in relationships, mm -hmm. and so so because they're your two second highest. What it really says about you is that you are stronger and, and you feel more uh, secure in relationships than you do in how you engage with stress, right? So the other two, the ones that are up, across from you, which are water and wood, are your two lowest. And those are your challengers. Those, those represent um, how grounded you are in the face of disappointment. And so, so basically you're from just a, a quick glance, what this says about you is that you're an amazing connector. You care about um, being compassionate. You also care about not making mistakes. You care about things being done right and looking right. Um, you care about inspiring hope and joy in other people. And it also says that you are pretty self-aware in a moment of stress, that when you feel that fear of abandonment and over caring about being needed um, come up, you're pretty aware of it and you can cope in the face of it. Your coping mechanism is through metal. Metal is um, like uh, how that translates into a coping mechanism is one is the breath. So like exhaling, like just like letting it go and organizing and cleaning something straightening up your desk, <laughs> cleaning out a cupboard. <laughs> that will, that, what it does, it's interesting because earth 
types tend to ruminate and overthink. And metal is all about, um, is cutting, like scissors are metal. It cuts, it gets really clear and refined. So that metal behavior stops the rumination. Rumination can just go on and on. Oh, yes. So metal cuts it off. Metal mm-hmm. corresponds to um, being organized and orderly and um, straightening something up. So it's kind of like um, that, you know, we, this method isn't about sitting and talking about your problems. And because that really anchors you, it chains you to the problem, like when you over talk about it. So I'm not a huge fan of Mm -hmm. like psychotherapy is wonderful for a lot of things. But I think that at times it will chain you to your story and kind of keep you kind of prisoner to it. This is a system of growing Mm -hmm. out, like recognizing, learning from our mistakes, but, but moving out. We cope in a very different way than repeating our stories. Um. Your lowest score is in water. So water correlates to sleep, first of all. So I would ask, um, you may have good sleep. Each of the five types has a physical component, cognitive, and and then spiritual component and relationship components. But I always, when I see someone's lowest score, the first thing I will do is make sure that your physical container of that is solid. And so the first thing I would ask is sleep. And if your sleep is okay, then I would go. Um, the other physical component of water is staying hydrated. So drinking enough. Uh-huh. So <laughs> so if you feel like you're drinking enough, then that's great too. I would also ask about like low blood pressure. Sometimes if your electrolytes are low, you'll stand up and you get dizzy. And so if you ever feel that, I would say, you know, incorporate some electrolytes into your into your drinking. Um, water element then on a cognitive component is about listening, but it's, it's about soft listening. It's about listening, um, and not having a tape playing about, I hope, I hope I'm treating her well, or I hope she likes me, or I hope, you know, she thinks I'm right, or I hope I win this game or, you know, the things that each of the other four types can think about. Water Mm -hmm. is simply about that whole thing we talked about, about observing. It's like getting so quiet that you're listening for, for picking up new ideas and information about yourself. So we can listen to ourselves like, wow, my heart's racing. Huh. I didn't, now I know that every time I meet with Aunt Molly, my heart races. That's really interesting. I wonder what that's about. Um, but it's also listening to others for like, well, what did they not say? You know, if there's a conflict, especially in conflict, that's when our, um, you know, our vibration gets a little out of whack and when we're not getting our needs met, when there's chaos. And so the more we can lean into the water element, uh, the less we need to fix this discomfort, which which is where we get into like Xanax, drinking, <laughs> avoiding, <laughs> because we don't like the discomfort. Mm-hmm. Water is that ability to sit in discomfort, knowing that the natural process of things is in that, un, in the unknown, in those uncomfortable moments, that's where creative um, solutions are germinating. Like in that quiet, in that dark, in that unknown, that's, that's the gestation period of potential and opportunity. But if we jump into solving and thinking we know, up oh, here's the plan, 
we really miss out on on great potential. So so water, your water element um, is about those things. It's and at its highest, it's about having peace, real deep peace, um, and it's about meditation also. Um, so so there are different like neuroplasticity exercises I can give you that will build the water element in your nature so that you don't you you don't avoid it like when you come into conflict because it's easy to skirt past water um and just go into like well here's the plan here's the solve um and uh does this all make sense to you yes it totally does yeah and sleep definitely is um something that you know i used to say people are like how do you ever get everything done you know i'm like oh, i get it. i get it done cuz i i get it done i can always sleep later right and i used to always say that and then it came it came back to me and i was like no i can't say that anymore because if i don't get sleep over and over and over and i'm talking less than 6 hours you know then it's going to get to my stressor level right and then i'm not going to have the patience mm-hmm. to to approach different things in the right mindset that i need to be in so you know my goal is about 6 or over um when i get an 8 hour night oh my gosh can i function <laughs> stay so well yeah um but anywhere you know between 6 or 7 is where i get it so i fixed a little bit more of the sleep but you've hit it, um, the nail on the head with the water and the staying hydrated. And so it's interesting because, you know, hearing you speak is not just only about behaviors, right? But it is really, like you said, from the beginning, the holistic view and being able mm-hmm. to say, okay, this is what, you know, how you can combat that. So again, looking at self-mastery and really looking ahead, well, if I know that I'm really bad at drinking water what are some things that I can do to get that during my day? You know, because if I know that that's my low point, you know, then I should be able to plan ahead and be um, more prepared, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Totally. Right. Prepared and proactive. So, you know, water, drinking water correlates to getting sleep, correlates to listening better, Mm -hmm. correlates to more peace in your life. So you don't only have to do like oh the only way to med you know to get peace is meditation not mm-hmm. not if your if your water score is low you don't tolerate meditation and not if your primary is earth earth people don't like they already spend too much time in here <laughs> mm-hmm. so like yeah. water people right the other thing that I love about this is that you can retake the assessment and see how you've grown Ooh, so you can incorporate. Yeah, so you can incorporate wow. more water into your yeah. day, like even drinking water and do it like in a month or in two months or once a quarter and see how you've changed. And then you mm-hmm. can change your tactics for how you, you you can see like, wow, my water went up, but my wood energy went down. And I can see that Whoa. in my life because I'm not closing as many deals or I'm not like asking wow. people to donate as much. So right. then you can change it up. It's an organic. We are always changing. It's the one thing I can guarantee you. We're always shifting and changing. And so a model for growth and understanding ourselves has to be flexible and has to be organic. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, like it's saying like, oh, this is how you are and you ain't never growing. You're never going to change. So this is so interesting. And I know that you had talked about how important it is to start 
doing this and teaching this to kids. And it seems so high level, right? But this is what you do with your nonprofit. So let's talk a little bit more about how you're teaching this these concepts to kids and how are they accepting it? Because, you know, are you doing it to all kids like in different schools, right? Or are you doing it just for, um, uh, like you said, you were talking with kids and then, um, or maybe that was during the time that you were in the um, Presbyterian hospital, right? And then you would send them back to their, their homes. Yeah. But I feel like kids kids nowadays are being taken here, taken there, right? Shoving into a particular box. Well, you're an athlete, so you need to be doing this, you know, or, or, um, no, you stay in theater or you've got such this, you, you know, you're a dancer, you know, let's get you into dance classes. And they don't have a lot of choice, right? Um, because it depends on kind of like what the parents feel like. Do the parents feel like they want to expose them to a lot of different things? Or are they like, no, I was told that if they're going to be an athlete and they're going to have to stay in this sport, they just should focus all of their time here, right? So I, I'm just so interested in how you're teaching kids these concepts and what are you seeing in the changes in not only maybe their confidence or their behavior or do you think that they're now having more of these types of conversations when they go home with their own parents? Yes, 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 yes. All of, Yes. <laughs> Uh, all right. I hope I can hit all of those questions because they were really good and important. So how do we teach? I'll start with that. We created, we have a website called t-kids.org where we have a lot of free videos and games. Um, we have little animated movies that teach kids these concepts in very kid-centric language. And you know, my teacher in this was a, is a pediatrician. So he's been teaching this to kids and families and in schools for years and years. And so I learned it first through the eyes of how a child might learn it. I then went and complicated the heck out of it and turned it into something uh -huh. that like, all right, I'm going to use it in, in businesses and turn it, you know, create like a business language around it. But hmm. it was introduced to me in a very, very simple way. And we we translated, um, you know, the knowledge that Dr. Cowan taught us into easy to understand little characters and videos that really is all about kids identifying and understanding and celebrating their superpower. Like if you, if I were going to going to work with you from the kids perspective, from the nonprofit, you know, you're super, you're an earth hero. And you can become a superhero if you balance out your earth energy with metal, water, wood, and fire activities. When you come well, become well-balanced, you're resilient to all kinds of stress. In the face of anything, you can become a hero. And so what it does beautifully, it creates um, a com an empathetic community, you know, of a classroom, let's say if, we're do if it's in a classroom, where everyone celebrates their differences, the different ways that everyone interacts. Water kids, for example, water kids are quiet. They, they can't tolerate socializing. It's very, very uncomfortable. And earth kids, if they don't know that, will over talk to the water kids and over like share and over encourage them to be part of something. And those poor kids, all they want to do is be a wallflower, but they contribute something different. They teach us how to feel peace. And then when we can all learn from each other and the diverse ways we interact, 
we we have less bullying you know we have more celebrating of each other and it's a much more compassionate classroom um how we we teach it right now everyone has access to our website we have a lot of free thing free education and games and tools available and we have a handful of training videos that teach the fire, earth, metal, water, and wood neuroplasticity exercises so you can build your skills in those areas. And it's all um, a combination of animation, flashcards, and little videos that we Very created. Cool. And um, and then we also consult for schools and school districts. So we will teach principals and PTAs um, and teachers how to understand the concepts and to apply them into the classroom in ways that make most sense for you know, how they're teaching and what they need, because really this is kind of the engine underneath of underneath anything. You know, if you understand how a child learns and how they close down, then it's, it almost like greases the, the, the wheels, you know, so everything moves better. Otherwise we have, we get stuck in not knowing like, you know, why, 20% of our classroom shuts down when I say everyone has to sit quiet for 35 minutes and not move, you know, well, probably because 20% of your classroom is wood and fire kids who desperately need physical movement and variety. And that's how they learn. Wow. You know? Wow. So, yeah. So what I'm hearing is it's not about teaching tolerance either, about understanding somebody else's um, strengths, right? But it really is what you said, what I heard you say is that balance. If you can balance out, you know, maybe you've got the strength, like mine was earth, and then I've got the metal and the fire, right? But then the, the wood and the water are very low. But if I can raise that up, you know, that creates what you said, this environment that does now breed tolerance, but mostly because you're understanding each other versus, oh, he's just a blank, like a leather label, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's super interesting to look at it that way. And and it's more harmonious that way, I should say, um, than anything else. So that's really interesting. And I can see how this would help out the classroom and the teachers. And so, you know, for people that are tuning in as well, my next question is, how do people get involved? Like they're listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, wait, she does this in schools. So like, how do people get involved if they want this to be, um, whether they're a teacher, principal, um, or maybe it's a mom and maybe this is, can this be an after school sort of thing? Or is it better to work with the schools first, you know, um, and, and go through the administration that way? So we've created the nonprofit in a way that you can get involved, whether you're a principal, a superintendent of, you know, an entire school district, uh, a parent or, you know, a child who's old enough. You know, our website, our sweet spot is like seven to 12 year olds. So if you can read and get, make your way around a website, you know, any child could benefit from it as well. We have, um, we have parents who've reached out to us who many of them heard of us through Tony Robbins, who is a huge fan of our work and sends, um, he will send his, um, his conference attendees to the website to take the assessments and find out what they are. And then he'll use the language in his conferences. And we've had parents and, and school teachers from around the world contact us to help customize 
their engagements either with PTA groups, with parent groups, or as teachers. And I even have a handful of homeschool teachers who just this year, because of COVID, decided that they were no they weren't gonna go back into regular school. They were gonna homeschool. And so they wanted a system for teaching this type of well being and self-mastery and self-awareness, self-regulation for kids. And so they reached out to me to talk about, you know, how to customize it to fit what they're doing. So you can either use what we've got there as a standalone um, program to support how you want to incorporate that, this into, um, you know, what you're already doing, or we customize programming for schools, families, you know, teachers and, uh, and parent groups all the time. But what is one piece of advice that you can give my listeners mm-hmm. um, that they can do themselves just to make this world a better place? My answer to some of these, you know, these types of questions is always going to be, it depends. Because context, right, I do believe that nothing grows out of context. And I would say the five archetypes assessment is free anyone can take it. I would suggest that someone takes the assessment, you find which which type is your highest score, and look at the nature that comes right after that. That is how you manifest your highest level purpose on this planet in this lifetime. And when you identify which type that is, you will start to know like, oh, I manifest through that way. So for example, you manifest through metal. Your primary is earth. So you manifest your destiny um, and you feel the most fulfilled giving back through metal. Metal is structure, perfection, like a new way of doing something that's better, Um, improving, forgiveness, gratitude, giving back. All of that is metal and you will feel fulfilled that way. I, my primary is fire. So the one that comes after me is earth. I will feel better when I'm teaching. If I'm not teaching, I don't feel full, I don't feel like I'm giving back. I don't know how else to just won't like if you told me I had to give through water through like sitting and meditating every day, I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm never going to give back cuz I ain't no one doing that." <laughs> but each type has like I would say take the assessment, find your primary, look at the nature that comes right after yours in that cycle and um And you will feel the best giving back in that way, in ways that correspond to that nature. I hope that's so much. It has been such a pleasure to get to know you, to be able to talk about what you do. Um, you're so inspiration, inspirational, so motivational. Um, and Aww. I am excited to continue to watch your journey um, now that we're connected and to really get other people connected to you as well. That I Thank you so much. I mean, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for bringing me into your world. I have loved meeting you and I can't wait to see what's next. <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in to connecting a better world and thank you noco fm for supporting this show if you connected to something in this episode we would love to hear from you Our contact info will be listed in the show notes, as well as you can reach us on our social media channels. 
please feel free to share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. For more shows, please tune in to noco.fm online. This is Loudspeaker.